This podcast was produced by Morley Radio. Welcome everyone to Artcast Season 2. Just a reminder, you can listen back to Season 1, which includes the previous seven episodes on the Morley Radio website, which includes the Artist Support Pledge founder Matthew Burrows, Goldie, Morley Chelsea alumni Susan Collis, and Episode 1 and 2 with Andy Holden, Russell Shaw Higgs, and now most recently Mira Kalix, who's just had a new LP with Warp Records released. So the decision to produce this podcast was by myself, Matt G, Artist and Subject Leader for Fine Arts at Morley Chelsea. The decision to do this was originally back in February when I saw photos from the polio outbreak whereby students were being remotely taught by radio. The podcast was really a decision made to try and reduce the screen time of students and trying to disseminate information via means other than the screen. So I've got Barry Rygate here with me today. So Barry's predominantly a painter but also makes sculptures. There are various themes explored including desire and horror. He combines graphic design techniques with looser and more expressionistic styles, encompassing a range of modern art and cartoon motives mashed up into one image which are sometimes presented by very large three meter or more canvases. He's been quoted as saying the cartoons are about death, the death of our exhausted visual culture. Cartoons are used because they have already been used, used to death. It plays with notions of freedom in regards to an ideal of creativity. My work is dealing with structures and systems in regard to play and progress. So Rygate's works be previously been shown at Tate Britain, the Saatchi Gallery, Art Gallery of South Australia, as well as many notable institutions around the world. So, hello, how's it going? What have you got planned today? I don't know. Going to the studio, basically. Funny hearing hearing you say all that, some of that I'll kind of go back on a bit. bit. Which bits would you go back on? I don't know, I think it's just become more loose now. I think a lot of that is from a while ago and I go into, I went to Goldsmiths and studied there in the 90s, which was very sort of theoretical and you know sort of trying to have a strategy and structure and i think like things have changed a lot since then i don't know i suppose maybe it's just my age i just become a bit more open and less sort of like thinking about meaning i suppose if that makes sense no definitely i definitely want to talk about how your work's evolved over the years because you originally you trained in graphic design and then fine art and you even worked with cartoon network with the with the storyboarding and i find that really interesting when i think about artists like cause brian donnelly who's previously worked with disney and i find that quite interesting did you ever sort of were you ever tempted to like slip in any subliminal messaging into the sort of cartoon storyboards or was it kind of quite rigid with the brief actually we did do that a lot we had a laugh there was a group of us it was sort of it was like 2000 or 99 1999 to like 2003 i worked there and it was quite different but then and then they made all these cuts and got quite strict with the rules and basically during that time we were there we were having a laugh you know we'd use these cartoons and we'd like put these like subliminal sort of like images and stuff like we knew about and um it was actually quite fun it was quite enjoyable the kind of fun aspect they kind of cut down on all their sort of design team and got everything Instead of it all being in-house, they were outsourced it in regards to freelance workers. And then it, this sort of the bigger powers that be sort of like took control over it more in regards to creativity. And we won a lot of awards there, actually, at the time. And we'd sit there in a pub and just think, we got to come out with this. we got a really crap budget to come out with um, this sort of like promotion that's 
a calendar which promotes Cartoon Network, which was really important to the company. And um, they said, we've got no money, not like last time, where they're paying like illustrators or someone to draw. They were paying them like £500 a day. And they had to be there for three months. And that's quite a lot of money that adds up to. So we ended up, um, I just sat there in a pub and they said, why don't we just do a crap calendar? Like like snappy snaps, crappy. We just started taking these really shitty pictures and nearly won an award. And we saved loads of money. And there was a kind of creativity there that was quite fun at the time because it was sort of every, everyone was it was kind of like a community of work there i think you're gonna hear my dog in the background actually that's all right someone's all coming into the house it's all part of the uh the remote discussions yeah. that we have yeah uh and can you talk to us about i think it's really important for students to hear about different trajectories that artists take and how they sort of get interested in certain things and become passionate about things can you talk to us a little bit how you first became interested in cartoon and imagery and maybe touch upon how you were influenced by your father and how that sort of developed well that being quite personal i suppose about my sort of past i used to just visit my dad who used to my dad wanted to be an artist and basically um i used to get lessons from him but i used to get lessons from him while he was in prisons around london like he was got caught doing robberies basically and ended up getting getting put away for like a certain amount of time and we we had to go and visit him and when we visited him because of our age basically there's nothing it's, it's quite awkward so there's nothing to do so it's kind of like there's these moments of boredom where he used to just teach us how to draw these kind of cartoons and in a way it's this sort of connection to me and my brother because there was nothing else to say in a way and in a way i think subconsciously there's something about art that kind of in a sort of un- subconscious way sort of connects later on even now i think in regards to i don't know sort of like if the language doesn't work in a way that it's structured like a symbolic system or whatever, you use this sort of visual kind of language and it connects in another way that isn't like sort of, what's the word for it, attached to that kind of structure. And also it's a boredom, we were bored. So to do something because you can't talk because it was awkward, we ended up drawing and he was teaching us sort of like how to draw these cartoons. And we were very young. We were, I mean, I was about six years old. You know, so, you know, you're going for all these sort of like emotions, like, why am I here and why am I seeing my dad that, this way? And at, and at the same time, he he's not going to go into the ins and outs of why he's there. So he sits there and starts drawing and starts drawing. And he's, so then you've got this element of like escape while you're in this kind of sort of institution. You know? Was there any particular <laughs> cartoons that you sort of resonated with you growing up? Just the sort of Hanna-Barbera and all those kind of more that than sort of Disney, I suppose. We were really, you know, Tom and Jerry. And I tell you, when I got later, I really like them. I mean, I still read about it now, about the sort of animation studios that work with them is like Ren and Stimpy. That sort of ab- abject humour and sort of... Yeah, I guess there's a sort of parallel with the eyes that they have in Ren and Stimpy and the sort of exhausted, sort of intoxicated-looking characters that you develop. Yeah. Is it the characters that you develop sort of... Is there like a set collection of them or do they sort of evolve spontaneously? I just draw, like, I don't, I mean, a lot of people say, do you take, is this from this cartoon or that cartoon, Disney? And I have done a few, but there's probably about four that I've kind of, like, you know, did Mickey Mouse and did that at the beginning, like, 10 years ago. But now I just sort of, like, because I learned how to, to draw, in fact, I learned a lot more how to draw at Cartoon Network because you have to do storyboards. And there was an illustrator there who would draw everything and then you put it through a computer. You know, I learned a lot, actually, sort of like in a real sort of general commercial way of how to sort of draw like storyboards and figures and cartoons. And it's quite sort of generic, I suppose. So everything kind of looks the same. It's a bit like if you look at anime, it's like you have all these different sort of animes, but it all looks quite similar. 
And I suppose everything in the West looks a bit disnified, you know. Have you seen the Beano show at uh, Somerset House yet? I want to go and see that, actually. I actually did go and see the, the one they had with Charlie Brown, like Peanuts, which I really liked. And I love seeing drawings. Like, I love seeing drawings. I really love drawings. I think there's something so sort of, um, I don't know, magical about drawing. I think everything comes from like a drawing. It's that thing that you had, especially as a kid, you could draw. You know, you're not going to really have a studio, you know, living on a council estate in a bedroom. You, you, you draw, that's your, that's your escape. So there's something you, you can ne- you can never take that away. Even going to visit my, you know, going to a prison, this visit, you still draw. And it's there's something about it. And it's funny because I've been working on these new paintings that deal with drawing, a bit different from the cartoon stuff with the airbrush. And that is about drawing again. So there's something about, I don't know, drawing and I, it's always been there, I suppose, and it's kind of this primal aspect of like making art, I suppose. Yeah, and I think, I think over the lockdowns, a lot of people have found sort of escapism within the world of drawing and collage because it's just such minimal means and you can really explore it in great depth. It's underrated. Yeah, I think it's quite underrated as well. I mean, it's starting to get a bit of people looking at drawing a bit differently now, but it's not like painting as such. So you, you're very heavily associated with the, I guess, the urban art and street art world, and and Goldie, who's previously guested with us, has, has collected work and shows it at Orem Gallery. Have you have you worked on the street much at all, or is it? Or do you think there's an association down to the materials and processes you use, maybe the aesthetic? I think it's because I come from a sort of graphic design sort of background, and I mean graffiti. You know, there's that that comes from sort of graphic design i suppose there's that association but never really i mean i got heavily into break dancing when i was young but not you know i do drawings and sketches i mean the, the only reason why i sort of did graphic design because i wanted to illustrate like album covers and i was i and that was my sort of trajectory like i've always wanted to do art since i was about six or like you know when i it was that kind of escape i realized this is a great way to escape and something to do and also great way of sort of I was achieving something I wasn't good at anything else at school but I was good at art so you kind of fed back on yourself like oh I've done well with this done well with this so you kind of just pursued it and I pursued it at a very young age when I was like probably about 10 you know I started realizing you know there's this world out there you can make a living from and it's funny because they actually called it commercial art back then not illustration and now you look at art now (laughs) it's like art now contemporary art is like commercial art so you know, I wanted to do commercial art and basically that was to do album covers and posters and stuff. And when the computers come in and started photography, started dominating that area, I got less less interested in doing that and changing with that and sort of got more into the art side because um, I want I like making things, basically. I think the the scale and the amount of layering sort of has this urban palimpsest sort of graffiti wall sort of feel about it. And I remember like when I I worked at the Saatchi Gallery in 2010, which is when Newspeak was on and, you know, just standing, it was just invigilating. So it was really nice actually to get really lost in the paintings. And you had a piece called Real Special Very Painting, which was acrylic oils, oil pastel, pencil, crayon, collage, wrapping paper, spray paint, varnish. Gloss paint, wax, charcoal, gloss. I think just all these layers with the airbrushing and stuff, that's the, the sort of being able to get lost in the surface was really enjoyable. I think there's something about art, especially at that time, there's this thing about excess. Like, it, And I think art is a very excessive sort of you know, practice. You know, Even the fact that you've got that privilege to do it, so you have that choice to do it. You know, In some parts of the world, you're not even allowed to do it. So you know, it's funny because I kind of look at art and everyone keeps going, oh, you know, what's going on in a moment of identity politics or anything or 
or political art. I think all art's political because you have that privilege. It's, you know, if I started drawing, like, I don't know, smiley faces, it's political because I have, I have that privilege to have that act to do that. So it's always political. And there's something about art I just find really quite, I don't know, I suppose it's just the way I grew up. It is a very sort of privileged, excessive environment. Not to say that that's negative, but it's like, I suppose I want to embrace that with the actual sort of making of the work. No, it's quite a poignant time to, to speak about that because actually we've got um, some Af- Afghan refugees visiting today who have fled Afghanistan and we're going to give them tours of the studios and talk to them about what we do here because they've been replaced in the Royal Bar of Kansas City and Chelsea. So, and obviously like back there, all the murals are getting painted over, lots of street artists yeah. having their work just completely whitewashed. So I, yeah, I agree. It's completely political just being able to make it, to make work. Yeah, yeah and it's just, I think making art, you have to sort of humble yourself within that. There's a certain amount of humility I think you have to have in that practice, I suppose. You know, otherwise, you know, you be, it's almost like you've, what's the word for it? I'm kind of too sure of yourself, not too sure of yourself. I thought there's a word for it. Um, the humility is like to realize that what you're doing is in that, in that position of sort of privilege. And it's how you make that work within, within that, I suppose. And yeah, you've worked with other people in the past, um, particularly with the, the Carney community in Battersea. I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about that. Carney's community is something that was co-founded by a guy called George Turner, my brother, Mark. And I mean, it's try and cut this short, but basically George was a social worker who was giving kids to my brother runs a boxing club as well called Fitzroy Lodge, and which had like David Hay went there um, and used to box and my brother used to go and visit him. And basically... Um, George wouldn't work under the system in regards to the so- being a social worker for for the local council because they give him a certain amount of time, like three months, and he has to move on to the next person. So he set up this thing with my brother because he was sending these kids to my brother at the boxing gym behind the council's back. And he said that, you know, this works. The kids are actually doing more by going to his boxing gym than going through the routine of the council. So it, that's something that's works with sort of like un, you know underprivileged kids in like Battersea in South London and um I brother kind of keeps making a laugh he goes like you know you're in this world you're in that like art world why don't you do something and give something back to the kids and I've been meaning to do something and it's also it's fine it's I think it's important to sort of like know where you are and like you know I think making art now from the position where I grew up is actually more difficult now than when I grew up like Sort of like 30 years ago, 20 years ago. I think it's really difficult. Yeah, I think it's difficult because of the way that they've structured the fees and everything. And what it does, it does something psychological in regards to puts people off because it, after a decade of that, suddenly like people are going, Why would I go there? I don't really associate with those kind of people, you know. So it's a, there's a long term thing that ends up being a consequence of like those that austerity and those acts. And um, you can see it in the, in the art world now in regards to what's what's going on and um i think it's important to sort of engage and for, so for a lot of these kids sometimes like like you're saying about these refugees you know it, it might be an act where it gives them an outlet to express something and let something out and it we did this project where phillips auctioned these doors off that we worked together and at the time it was sort of like that post grenfell time where a lot of artists were trying to do auctions and donate their work and then i remember being involved in this one auction where it was like they made sort of like I don't know three million or something, and they're all like, "Oh no, it's really fantastic!" And I was thinking, "Well, that's really just actually stating the very problem." Like, you know, people have loads of money who could just donate something, making loads of money to give it to people 
who need it and having this distance. I said, why don't we get the kids to engage and participate in the works with the artists to become collaboration? And the best thing about those doors is the fact that Philip's displayed them and the kids come up there and they were just like, whoa, we were, like they were there with Nish, you know, Nish Kapoor and like Oscar Murillo. And they were like, whoa. And they were looking at the money and the prices. And like, you know, in a way, you know, some people won't agree with this, but it actually does symbolically do something. They kind of feel like there's a sense of value. And you can't, it's hard to tell someone who grew up without no money that money isn't all the deal. And it isn't, but it's, it, it does symbolically have a meaning. It creates a value, especially if there works next to it. And it sells. And I'd like to do more stuff like that. It's, it's quite hard. I mean, I do have lucky to have the structure with Carnies because you can go down there and order it, like sort of order, not sort of organize it with like a few people there who could like get everything in order and basically connect with the kids and kind of like do it. And I think there needs to be more stuff, I suppose, like that. So the doors, they, they were for sale as well, I guess, and they were auctioned yeah, off. Yeah, we auctioned off and they sold and it went back into i mean originally we wanted to take the like there's a few kids and we want to take to new york from carnies and fitzroy lodge to he wouldn't normally be able to afford it to new york to fight with another amateur boxing club and then it, it was quite a lot of you know some of these kids haven't even got passports so it's, it, it's like it's quite a lot but it does I think traveling, you know, helps out some of these kids. It kind of takes them out of their zone and kind of like, especially now when it's sort of like lockdown and it's postcodes, kind of like. Yeah. You know, do, do, you stay in touch? do you stay in touch with them at all? Like- I do. I go down there and I see George. I mean, I like to do it a lot more. But um, somebody, you know, I also, you know, friends of mine, if George, you know, I tell everyone about like the, the chat, the carnies and say like, you know, if I know someone has a job, it goes like they are, they're looking for like, you know, placements for apprenticeships or something, you know, stuff. So try and help out when I can. Or I've had a friend called Greg who ended up basically getting one of the kids or like teenagers to work for like a film company. And then now they're writing their own documentaries for Vice, you know, and it's you just need people to be open to. And it takes time. It's not easy and it is hard work. But, you know, the reason why George wanted to set up the charities because he knows he could be there. He's been around for like 10 or 12 years now or even longer. So, you know, instead of like trying to turn over like these stats for the councils that's every three months, he gets kids ring him up like 10 years later saying, oh, I've got a job now and stuff like that. And sometimes like five years later when something goes wrong, they can still ring. It's just a community. You want to, it's what the boxing club's good for. It's like, you know that club will always be there and people will help you out. Yeah, it's really important to have, for people yeah. to have an outlet. Yeah, yeah, it, it's you know that person might want to come back and talk to you or need you in five years' time. So, but that yeah, that's something to do with my what my brother's involved with, and um, and I think that's important. I think in some ways it's important in regards to art to connect as well in regards to you know with with a certain kind of demographic. I suppose kids who. who you're finding it harder to sort of get involved with something creative. And you know, for me, creative, to doing something creative is a way of not fitting into the structures of what was academic. And it gave me an escape, a sort of like outlet to do something else than trying to like get the best in English or maths, which I found really difficult when I was a kid. Yeah, that's something we have to keep championing because it's, it's, 
becoming more and more um yeah i guess especially like you say with the fees as well i think people were quite cautious about what they choose to do as a result of that because they feel like they have to get something that's going to get them a job or something that you know is is a real life skill but obviously there's so many like transferable skills within making art and and yeah obviously so many different industries it's just not as direct as say doing a degree in chemistry it's also good to have if your background's quite troubled or like you're having issues it's quite nice to have a sort of an outlet to do something even if it means you know you could say that's all graffiti is when people want to do things on the walls because they're I mean, the best graffiti I like is when someone does something really crap and like writes "fuck the Tories" or something like that. <laughs> I mean, probably ain't allowed to to, to to post this or say that. Well, that's how you it know, started in New York, isn't it? Like people people uh, taking you know, New York was really in a bad state, and people wanted to take ownership of the space around them because they couldn't, they had no opportunities. So. I mean, in graffiti like that, I think there's something quite interesting. I think it's kind of like anything becomes quite commercial. I think it kind of changes, you know. I quite like, you know, I know you had Goldie. I quite, I, I know him quite well. And like, you know, the era when he was doing, sort of started out doing graffiti, I think it's kind of like a really fun time. Like, yeah, it's a great documentary um, on Sky Arts. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like materials, you sort of, um, I've noticed you, yeah, you're working more with NFTs now. So I was wondering if you could talk to us a bit, a little, a little bit about your views of NFTs as a medium. It's, I guess it's something that's happened so fast as well over the last year. And yeah. maybe they can be quite divisive sometimes. Sometimes, you know, people champion them and sometimes people maybe criticize them as a medium. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a bit about how you got into that. Maybe talk to us about how you animated your illustrations as well and what sort of techniques you use. Uh, actually, who you know, Greg Brooke, basically, um, um, he approached me. I mean, I've been interested in them since they first sort of started coming out. And I've always been interested in animation. And then Greg invited me. He got invited to c- curate his own sort of piece within like this platform called super rare which means it got edited down and it's with andy holden and ansel crook and like a few others and like well, actually quite a lot of others and he's he's been growing the people that go in in it and um uh, and it it just seemed like i don't know it seemed like like greg was sort of getting rid of the sort of fat in regard you know the problem is the nfts now it's, it's become this like like anyone can go and do it it's like it's there's good stuff on there but then there's so much sort of frass as i call it and it just seemed like Greg was like doing something that was far more curated and a bit more organized and more to do with, I suppose, less kind of, I don't know, I would say this sounds a bit naff, but like in re- relation to art, sort of contemporary art, I suppose. And I quite like what, you know, he curated as well. And we all sort of got together. None of us have really done this before. And he gave us the opportunity and also pushed me to sort of get my, you know, basically get out of the studio and start using software I got on my computer, which is, I use this thing called Animate, which is basically like old school Flash or Illustrator, and start getting into it. And now been learning this software, and it encouraged me to learn it. So you know, I kind of I found it quite interesting. I find it, you know, I'd say that word interesting, like you know, highlighted there because it is an interesting space. And as much as like a lot of people don't like it, and like you know, there's been a lot of sort of noses upturned to it as well as some you know people embracing it i think it's a new technology and there is a big change going on and i do think it's gonna it is here to stay it's gonna go up and down it's gonna go in and out of fashion but i think what people are not thinking about in regards to nfts is like at the moment it's it's a very new sort of form 
or medium for like making work. Well, it's not actually not like digital's been around for a while, but the actual NFTs, the blockchain, it's still quite new. And I think what's going to happen is the technology is going to develop to a point where if it keeps carrying on and there's an economy here with with the NFTs, the technology will develop where these NFTs will change the whole sort of structure in which you show up. There's something with um, Zizek. I I was reading about the public and private space and he was he did this podcast where he was talking about the what the problem is with like the internet and stuff is not like the invasion of your private space it's the public space and he's saying like about this somewhere in eastern europe like this couple having sex on a train on a, on a rush hour in order to post the picture on social media and that's what he's talking about your public space being invaded and that's what the problem is there is no public space and i mean you can see it like in Notting hill when you get people taking pictures of themselves in front of their houses and stuff yeah, that's yours your your public space that's getting invaded by like people want to do something about their personal Instagram. So there's this kind of weird change of public and private. And I think with NFTs, I mean, the technology develops, and it sounds like far-fetched and like minority report. But in the end, you're going to get, instead of kids wanting to buy like the latest like £400 trainers, which kids do spend that, they're going to end up spending it on an NFT. And that NFT is going to end up walking down the street with them because you're going to have a hologram that has the technology to make that walk. So you have this animated cartoon that's walking with them. So it isn't about what you wear. It's a different form of... It was a big investment as well a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, I'm still... I think it is. And I also think in a way that, you know, the, the most the NFTs that have gone for the most are like, in my opinion, are like, like crappy pixelated crap images. And they're the ones that are making money. And it's made me kind of think like, this is like what punk was in the 70s to like music. It's like, you know, no one's turned around and said like punk was great music until afterwards. It's like, what the fuck is this? It sounds like a load of mess. And like, maybe that's what NFTs are to art. It's like the punk of image. And also we started out by putting things on the wall in caves and in frescoes and then on canvas. And then you add like from canvas, it went to film and in film it went to digital. Like the actual mobility of art is always, it's always gone up with the times of, you know, globalization, like mobility. And now you can just like try and like make, send your piece of art without sending shipping or anything or insurance just over your internet so there's something about that as well but i do think the technology will totally make like and people are not going to like this i know like fashion and art which has always tried to collaborate and has done totally absorb into one another where like your art is becoming it, it is like fashion and art you're wearing it in the public space so instead of like showing off your latest picasso at a dinner party this more demo i could have said demographic i'm not demographic i'm democratic i don't even know if i'd say that audience that can afford those nfts like completely bombarding them in that public space and that technology will put that on like especially it'll be a new economy like buses will find a way like london transport and way to make an income for advertising by showing screens you'll get an app where someone will pay that extra bit of money to have their nft displayed on a screen on a tube sounds like hell and it will be like hell but it you know it's like it's like going to when fashion week and everyone's wearing the latest garments to show up it's going to be like that with like nfts and the sort of public space going to work and stuff like that and i think that technology will develop and those apps will develop and the world is changing into that sort of digital economy one because the environment in regards to the goods and i do think you know there's a there's a critique of the way that they're making you know cryptocurrency in regards to mining i think that's going to change it will change well there's things like the palm blockchain isn't there i mean i'm not not an expert on the terminology but i know that there's like the palm network which is 99 percent more eco-friendly i believe Uh, or yeah and i think all this will change it will become 
different. I just think it's because it comes so fast. Everyone's just like trying to, they're not really thinking of the consequences later. They just jump on it, but it will change. I do think this is a new technology and a new kind of form of medium for like art. And I think in the end of the day, what that would do is actually make paintings seem more like prestigious and like people would want those paintings. The desire for painting would be, would grow as well. I mean, at the moment, you, there could be an argument like with all these art fairs that there's too much work. People get bored by too much painting. And I said to someone the other day, there's a problem with painting at the moment is there's too many good painters. When there's too many good painters, you desire like what Kippenberger used to do in the 80s, like, let's champion bad painting, you know, because you want something bad. But even that now, like, painting's exhausted every sort of, like, territory. Like, where do you, if you did a bad painting now, it's, like, cool. But it's, all it is, is just another painting. So you've got this kind of, like, it's, it, everything's flooded. And I think what that's done is made this weird environment to push for these NFTs. Yeah, and can you just remind the viewers, uh, the listeners, <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, where, where they can find your NFTs. You mentioned the uh, uh, super rare. Yeah, so that's curated by Greg Rook, who's yeah. who's our BA top up course leader at Chelsea. I was going to talk to you about, about your kind of when I go to your landing page of your website, and it's very heavily noticeable that you've gone from lots of color to using very monochromatic gradients. And um, is there sort of a reason for this transition? It seems a bit more, I guess, like abstract, more focusing on uh, replicating digital rendering. Thing. Yeah. Um, well, number one, I need to update that website. <laughs> and number two, the the black and white works are basically an extension from the, from the works that I did before in regards to the tools. Like, they're all sprayed. And what I've done is I've kind of like tried to, I suppose I started looking at drawing and I'm really, I've been a, been a big fan of all that kind of Cobra movement, those painters and like love Carol Apple, Asgore John and all those. And I'm thinking, how could you make that like develop into something? It was almost like outsider art and like sort of very playful and it's a kind of childish play aspect to it. And I wanted it, even my other work does that, but I wanted it to be more like that. I suppose just kind of like, let's just minimize, minimize it. And and I started doing these experiments and by chance it started referring to things like the the screen or digital because they're quite flat. But that wasn't an intention. That was just by the actual application of the works and sort of pissing around with it. And then I've just sort of like pushed it and pushed it. And now I've actually been bringing figures back in because I was doing it quite abstract and like I felt like it lost and I started making these, the other works that I'm known for. And now recently in the last like three months, I've been bringing in like sort of more these kind of faces and like i call them monsters because they're things inside my head and that brings me back down to like what i was thinking about drawing them going to visit my dad and also i did a show at cast of projects that were to do a drawing and lockdown and stuff and it's about i just thought why don't you just it's almost like you're drawing with this airbrush and these spray guns and, you, and they're all these different size spray guns and i'm trying to make something from a really small thumbnail like really fast like doodle that's kind of like this monstrous figure and then turn it into this sort of abstract monster now and they're, they're like these black and white i'm starting to add colors which i haven't really shown with like fluorescent colors to the black to make it trying to find a way to use color with it but i suppose what i wanted to do cut a long story short is pare everything down and go back to the bare minimum of drawing and how you could use this sort of thing that's associated with one with graffiti spraying cars you know this this tool and I found a way to draw with it. And you're basically drawing. So you're drawing, but you're not really, you know, and then you're painting. So it's so then you're creating this like object that's 
in, a, in this weird void of space. It's like graffiti or the screen. Is it a painting? Is it a drawing? Is it digital? Is it? For me, I quite like it because what it does is it escapes like history or painting's history. You know, even though I, I have these references, but because it's sprayed as well, you're you kind of it's like a race. So it gives you complete freedom in a way. So in a way, so have you got any sort of airbrushing recommendations for people interested in getting into the medium? Like in term, I mean, there's a whole range, I guess, that you could. I mean, I was into this guy, and he's kind of like quite big at the moment, and actually cause collecting. And like, I was really into him in the eighties. I mean, some of his illustrations are really not like politically correct. If you looked at his stuff, and he's like a Japanese artist called Soriyama, and he painted, you know, he's really renowned for these illustrations that were called Sexy Robot. And it was really 80s, like Athena, Philip Castle. I don't know, like kind of people like Big Daddy Roth used to do all those kind of like custom cars and stuff. I was more um, like talking about people starting out, um, like with the tools. Like, have you got any recommendations for brands or, or like not to plug, but just? I mean, you can just buy a cheap thing for like 40 quid or buy it. I would go onto eBay and buy something second hand. I mean, the best things are like, I, I use like Iwata airbrushes, which are Japanese, but they're not cheap. They're like between two or 400 quid and do break. And you have to, because I wanted to, I've been doing this for years because I wanted to do illustration. And one of those illustrations doing album covers, I learned airbrushing when I was 16. And I used to do rave flyers for like acid house clubs. And that's how I kind of got into it because my friends used to run these pirate radio stations back in the 80s. And um, so I kind of taught myself and it does take a lot of time. But also, you know, it also gives you a different sort of, even when it fucks up, it's kind of good. You can use it when it fucks up. It doesn't have to be all about skill. I would just go and buy something on eBay. Well, that's when the happy point. accidents can happen, when those yeah. mistakes occur. Yeah. And also, you can mix it up. I mean, with the cartoony sort of collage works are, like, mixed up. I mean, the, the cartoons are sprayed. And, like, look at, you know, you've got, you got YouTube and everything like that. Now, I had to get books and try and learn. And basically, you could watch all these guys. I mean, it's quite fascinating. I mean, in America, they have all these like airbrush conventions and stuff like that, a bit like Comic Con. And have, it's you quite weird. have you been to any of them? No, but I, I have thought about it. It's kind of one of those things where I'd be going on my own because no one else wants to go. <laughs> you did a project in America in the desert, I heard about. But could you talk us a little bit about that? I mean, it was like an alternative to like Burning Man and the Coachella Festival. And a friend of mine knows someone who set up this. This it's called the Bombay Bombay Beach Biennale. And it's on this sort of deserted lot where all these kind of ex-cons, actually it's where Frank Sinatra and all those guys, and they got kicked out of Las Vegas, ended up building this little community on the Salton Sea by Bombay Beach when the Salton Sea is this massive lake. I think it's the biggest lake in California, which is massive. It's like you can't even see the other side. And um, there used to be like a popular, like, like kind of holiday destination. And everyone from LA used to go there. And then in, in the end, it ended up having this like ag agricultural disaster, all this agricultural runoff and stuff polluted the lake so much where everything's dying. There's loads of salt there, there's sulfur. It's like this apocalyptic landscape and you're not even allowed in, in the lake anymore. And people used to go water skiing in like the, the 40s and the 50s. And now it's like, it's just desolate. So when you drive along it, it's like glass and you see the sky reflected. And it's, it's quite beautiful, but also quite apocalyptic. And on the other side, there are actually like aeroplanes do test runs and drop, drop bombs. And when we were setting up this piece, which was this like great big apocalyptic mouse figure, 
there were like bombs going off on the other side. I said, what's, what's that cloud over there? Because that's Edwards Air Force like firing off doing test runs on their bomb. And, um, but so they've set up this, it's, now it's this like this desolate sort of, I don't know, weird town where everyone wants to go off grid and it, there's about 400 people there. And they do this event and it's like they get the San Francisco ballet, they get these opera singers, they get these kind of street artists and they get like Bill Taylor, they get Kenny Scharf in. And it's like for three days or two, yeah, three days. It's like a kind of festival, but it, they're quite strict on the way they do it because they don't want to turn it into a big commercial. Yeah, yeah. And they want to turn it into Coachella. <laughs> yeah, they, it's kind of opposite. And, the, you know, and when they had like, they had the San Francisco Ballet, like having this, they were like doing this dance in this derelict kind of like building. And um, they'll turn all the sound systems off. So everyone has to go and watch it, you know. So otherwise everyone's just going to get off their faces and just, you know, dance. So they turn the system, sound systems off and everyone has to go and hear the opera singer. So there's a light, the art takes, you know, it's not just the art of getting off your face. It's actually the most important thing that's there. Yeah, it's like a festival uh, in Italy that Donato Dozzi runs. And uh, yeah, that only one stage at a time plays music. So there's yeah. no kind of FOMO. There's no kind of like darting around stages. All the focus is on that particular act, which is... Yeah, it's good for but then, but then it becomes the focus, like you just said, and people remember it. Otherwise, everything becomes this diluted kind of like phase because everyone's like drunk or whatever. Generally, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's only been going for like three years, and obviously, with what's gone on lately, they've had to stop it. And they did actually stop it the year before COVID hit because they were getting worried it's getting too commercial and too many people want to be be a part of it. And people have actually been buying land down there. You can buy like a load of land down there for like three thousand dollars because they think it's going to turn into, and that's what's scaring the people organising it. It means people, you know, suddenly you'll get like, I don't know, Coca-Cola turned up or something, you know, want to sell, buy a piece of land. So they're trying to wonder how you make it. They want to keep, I mean, it's not going to be like that because it's like everything. It will end up spreading, becoming viral, but they want to keep it a bit low key. Um, so it'd be interesting to see when they open up again, how it'll go. But um, we had fun. It's great. It's a great vibe. It's like, you, you can go down and see your sculpture outside and there's all these other sculptures and you know works of art paintings it's fun it is fun it's really it's, and it's like quite a mad drive there. So, yeah. is it is it quite a, is it similar to sort of burning man in the sense you have to really sort of set up your own little world and uh be is very self self-sufficient i guess yeah and like a lot of people take rvs down there but the thing is they 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 stop like it's in the middle of nowhere on the Salton Sea, and um, I mean you can Google like on Google Maps or like or Apple Maps or whatever, and like you could Bombay Beach in California, and you'll go to this one little part where there's like a few roads, like like a grid system. You'll see it like when the way you do roads in America, and everything's like desert around it. You can't get in unless you've got a ticket and you're like invited so i don't know if they even know if they actually sell tickets to be honest i think it's, it's all about being invited and word of mouth but they want it they don't want it to turn into something big but i kind of interested to see where it would go because when i did the last one there it was just like you know people were talking about it all the time wanting to be involved like someone in san francisco ring, ring me up and said they want to go down there. so the thing is they won't let the cars in and the cars can't park and the nearest place to park is probably about an hour away <laughs> you know so they, they've done away so you can't it's quite difficult unless you're invited yeah i'll be interested yeah see how it goes so who are your favorite artists at the moment who would you say to look out for on the street or in the gallery right on the top of my head 
because that's I always find that hard because it always changes and changes every day pretty much yeah I mean there's you know there's a guy actually I actually helped him do one of his first shows when he left Slade I think it was and I've he's been doing these animations and I think they're really amazing and to me it seems like even I'm into painting and stuff sometimes I think there's so much painting that's good but to me that painting looks it's like almost like it feels like painting doesn't want to move forward like new anymore it's like to me it's like a bit retro-y everything so I've been I don't know I started looking at all these other stuff and then there's this guy called Matt Cotson who does these like laser animations and um but then he does opera and he's friends with a, like a singer who does these kind of like sings over it and he's been showing and like i mean he showed at sadie cole's in a group show and then he showed at high art paris and um rena spaulins in new york and his stuff is amazing it really and there's nothing there really apart from a laser as well so you go in there so you're going in it's almost like you're i mean i i've only seen one thing in Sadie Coles and it wasn't the opera or just like the sound that's attached to it. But you, from what I can see, because a lot of the shows that he's done have been during COVID actually, uh, what you call it? You walk in, it's almost like, oh, it wasn't there. It sounds a bit tacky saying like a concert, but like you get, you're coming in and it's a complete immersive experience, you know, like to, to see these and, and they're lasers as well. So they've got this weird 3D kind of aspect to it. And then there's all this sound and I, I don't know, to me, it seems like really new, really fresh, really sort of, and, you know, and I kind of know him quite well for another friend of mine or a few friends of mine. I don't know, I just, lately, last year or so, I was just thinking, fucking hell, this this is really, really radical, cool work. Yeah, I mean, Sadie check him Coles. out. I mean, pardon? Did you say it was at Sadie Coles recently? It, well, no, he did something like maybe two years ago, a group show, um, and it was just a small animation, but now he's like elaborated it where it's just become this, like you're literally going to see a performance of this kind of like animation, basically. And like you're there for immersed into it. But I think he's really good. I've always liked Sterling Ruby. And I, especially those kind of airbrush paintings that he used to do, like the apocalyptic sunsets that, that like really bad Rothko's or something. I don't know if you know those. Well, I know it's like sculptures sort of have elements of a sort of sculptural sort of, I've seen the bits where it's like cutoffs almost of a of a sort of homemade skate park almost, and then you've yeah. got like tags on like what look like tags, and yeah, I'm a big fan. I always loved these. He used to do these paintings that were sprayed, and I love, still love them now. They're like sort of like apocalyptic sunsets, but they also sort of refer to you can slightly rough colors in a really sort of toxic way. Yeah. What would your dream art school consist of? Um, what would the lessons or a particular lesson look like if you were to? <laughs> to design one <laughs> uh, one word actually learned something <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I get a lot of I don't know something I actually did learn a skill I like to learn skills not saying you don't but like or like colleges don't but is that because maybe you had a very ideas based art school experience or yeah and I think like a lot lot now it's like I think a lot of it's about sort of community, which is good and like meeting up with people. But then when you leave, some people do keep that community, but it's far more sort of difficult to keep that community. You know, you have to have jobs and stuff like that. But when you have a kind of skill, you end up basically, you've got that thing to sort of make stuff if you find somewhere to do it, to to do it, you know, and you kind of, where it's kind of reliant on a, I suppose it might be because of the way that I 
went to university it was like that like when you're reliant on a sort of community too much and it sort of dissipates because everyone's got their own things to do then it's just you know I don't know it's always like maybe I'm just being like thinking of myself here but because I've always done airbrushing I've always had that with me you know and you use it and I remember first like at Camwell doing a degree there like I got out this airbrush to paint a photorealistic motorbike pulling a wheelie and the teachers just walked up to me because what the fuck are you doing what are you doing at all and then it was a weird course because it was like graphic design and fine art and then like the graphic design sort of teachers were going like yeah this is good fuck me fuck the fine art teach stuff um but it was a skill i've always kept it and, and had that i want to say like learn i think you need to open up more to to learn about i don't know like students to want to have a craft and have something to carry with them with so they can carry on and you can also apply it when you leave college to other things like you could do a mural you could do this or do that you know drawing you know you could end up going into graphics I suppose there's all these other aspects if you have those skills than just and workshop and say, usage, not based on yeah like using workshops is important yeah I wouldn't say like community I think it's the wrong I suppose it's just because I grew up with a highly you know heavy theoretical it was goldsmiths in the 90s it was all about theory 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 and I feel like that you know that's quite sort of dangerous when you leave university and also kind of like makes you not look at the work sometimes because I think all art's hallucinogenic and like everything's all hallucinogenic especially at the moment like what what do we believe in now you know you make up your own things to believe in yeah I think it's really important to teach skills like things like printmaking and uh, because it because it's it's tough to make money sometimes but if you can teach people how to use a skill to produce an addition or to 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 make something rather than just think and philosophize then i think that's so important i think there is a demand for that these days as well there is and i think you can yeah because it's becoming less and less obviously we're talking about nfts the less of those craft or those skills the more people you can do it and no one else is doing it and you dare i say it got a market and you've got people interested in it and I think you can apply that. You know, I managed to apply mine from various things from working on photo shoots to like working for cartoon companies to working, you know, graphic design and, you know, in it's, and I, I think college is like, I keep saying like, I think there needs to be a space for like, there's a gap between like 15 and 18 for like young adults who didn't get in, have a qualifications to get into college or whatever, or didn't. And I think, are lost but like there could be this space for that age group to kind of like put this into creative spaces you know there's a whole like teaching art school could be like teaching a whole area for like these kind of like young adults to one to express themselves and also like you know you can use these creative skills to go into all these different different areas like painting murals or going around even teaching doing workshops or like going to work for a graphic design company going to film I mean, a lot of these kind of, like, they're doing it themselves partly in regards to like Instagram and doing, cutting up their own films now. They're editing and everything. A lot of the kids from like Carnies that I was doing with his bike life thing were doing their own films. And like, I just think it needs those, you know, you could, something that broadly opens up those skills for those people to sort of like nurture them so they can carry them on without having the sort of hit heavy academic theory kind of side of it. That's an ideal Place, well, things I like suppose. the Adobe Suite are really important, I think, and yeah. that those sort of tools and skills can unlock all sorts of possibilities. And they've definitely been one of the more easier processes or skills to teach over lockdown because you can just yeah. you know, share a screen and 
Um, and that's, that's another advantage of that as well. It's quite easy to learn. You can follow YouTube tutorials or go on um, all sorts of online courses. Gaming's good. Gaming. <laughs> We have um a, we have an esports department. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's there's a uh, it's for sixteen to eighteen year olds level three uh, esports course. What do you do on that? Like, just <laughs> I, I still need to learn more about it. Um, it's not just playing FIFA like I thought it might be, no. but it, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole industry there. You know, there's there's like people that talk how about how to play, how to design games. Um, there's also like. I think that- of topics about well-being as well you know like how to be yeah healthy while gaming um there's a whole world there well you know what it is with gaming i think nfts i was talking to someone about nfts actually at this um zoom call and they were telling me about you know it's not enough just to drop an animation and say this is enough you need to now participate and have an area of gamification in regards to the audience and you entice someone in to do it some of that could sound a bit dodgy because it could sound like mild gambling and stuff like what you're doing you know buying these because you're trying to sell these things but also there is a there is something about gamification i think with art you know best art is when you get something back there is a participation in it hence they're saying matt compson like i'd really like to go and see his work because there's because you're immersed in it there's you're actually engaged how could I say, kind of like, well, I don't know about engaged, but immersed in this sort of like some kind of exchange going on by being a mark. You, you know, you're actually inside his kind of like his piece of work. Uh, I think there's something interesting about gamification and where that technology and everything's moving into. And just like the problem I have a painting or like sculpt, I mean, sculpture is a bit different because you do have that kind of like physical participation with it. But painting is like it is. I mean, it does seem like like you have to really be into painting to enjoy painting. You know the history and everything, and like I can see it being addictive like that. But it's also I feel like, especially if you're young and you've not had that sort of education, it can seem very offish. And there's no participation or like kind of engagement or anything to anchor that person without that kind of background into it. You know, which is kind of like makes you wonder about the nfts like that maybe is engaging with the people that the art world or that kind of like area is not engaging with you know it's a sort of balance with it all it's like cause whether you like them or not is engaging with a whole audience that's different than it has been yeah he's just done some uh fortnite skins yeah that i find really really interesting i like he just collabs with collaborations with with so many different people but yeah taps into a lot of different audiences yeah i actually think there needs to be like okay my ideal college would be actually to to have a lesson and studying on the like business side of causes entrepreneurship because i don't think it's enough now just to sit there and kind of go this is my painting like i'm going to get picked up by a gallery and yes every now and then a person will get picked up. You have to be really realistic about art and know where your maneuverability and be a bit more dynamic and moving around and where you're going to, you know, just working in a studio and hoping that someone's going to come up and pick you up and post things on Instagram is very, very rare. So you need to, I think, you know, that's where skills come in because I'd rather do a skill are you doing something that you still love that's creative it like someone giving you a job to do a mural but then they're telling you what they want and then you go back and doing your your own painting 
then sort of going around and doing a job that you really hate and that kind of like energy carries on into your studio you start being depressed going into your studio and like it's like being on i think you know artists need to be a bit more and that's where i think with nfts and what's going on at the moment and technology and cause is that entrepreneurship and people might say well is that business but i think you have to be like that because you have to survive if you want to you know get on yeah and and it's better to do something you love than than supplementing your yeah. couple of hours in the studio doing something you don't love yeah and it's it's it, it's difficult and also all those different avenues someone might ask you the clarity and a t-shirt and then they say what do you do with this and that and it, you're just creating this dynamic sort of situation that's sort of keeping you alive and making you you know keeping you going basically and making people want to be interested in other stuff oh i didn't know you did that as well and i'll take that i'll have a look at that or it's i think if it's a stick stick at one thing from friends i know stick at one thing it's like they, they believe in this illusion that they think you know i'm a bit more realistic than that i just you know brother's a boxer i have a family with like fires it's like you know if you want to get in a ring and participate you have to get punched in the mouth as well punched in the face and that reality you know waking up it's like fuck this hurts you know how do you sort of learn that sort of you know if you want to get on the canvas or get in the canvas then also learn to get punched in the face and that's what it's it's hard and it's it's how do you um keep keep that thing going and keeping your you know wanting to get out of bed and want to do things and being uh, and just opening up and like you know i i wish there was if i was back at university and i think goldsmiths did try and do that by theory because it said the theory is strategy but i think it's also went old very fast but i do think like certain lessons about sort of maybe artists and business is actually quite helpful i know it's like a dodgy thing to talk at art school no, I think it's good to learn about how to, like, yeah, value yourself, negotiate, figure out who to work with, who not to work with, and and yeah. and that those sort of things. They are they, they yeah. Unfortunately, over the years, have become a bit of a taboo, but they are some. They're very important. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah how to like, yeah, make a living out of your work is very important. Yeah. So you're off to the studio in a bit. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up nah say hello to Greg yeah I will do yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I'll see him uh, this afternoon <laughs> alright cool I'm actually quite local to you guys I'm down a road oh, I'm in should... Lots Road which road sorry Lots on the corner oh, okay I oh, should pop it's in quite... pop in and have a look yeah. at the work yeah come in yeah all definitely right. you're always welcome alright it's been a pleasure all right. Barry um, alright take care all right. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. College, we offer a variety of photography courses, ranging from one-year intensives to shorter ones. Our courses are taught by industry professionals in friendly, well-resourced classroom and studio environments. We are London's largest provider of courses for adults who come to study for fun, to develop new skills for professional development, or to apply for higher education. We offer great progression opportunities through level one to four. 
Our courses run daytimes, evenings and weekends all year long. Come and join us. To learn more, go to morleycollege.ac.uk and select Visual Arts under the Courses tab.